What's up, guys? Max here, back with a brand new episode of the Scuttlebutt Show. It is a beautiful day out here in Okinawa. Just kidding. There's a huge thunderstorm going on outside. So if you guys hear any thunder in the background or if my power all of a sudden goes out, that's where I went. It's a, a disaster over here. No, it's not that bad. We're okay. We're hanging in there. My dog doesn't like it, though. She doesn't like the thunder very much. What's up to everybody in the chat? Veteran influencers, ancient neophyte, MC, Eviana, Justin, everybody else who hasn't checked in yet. Great to see you. I hope you guys are having a great day because I have a great show for you today. Absolutely crazy stories, out of control, unbelievable. It is going to be a blast. Uh, some serious stuff, some not so serious stuff. We'll be laughing everything. But before we get into it really quick, a couple things from yesterday and upcoming announcements. First of all, uh, I told you guys a little while back that I was on the Foxhole podcast, which is a really cool group out in LA, the Foxhole Theater Company. They're doing uh, live stage performances, veteran stories, veteran writers, actors, all, all that, uh, civilians too. They have a great team and they have a podcast and I was a guest on their podcast and we went into the nitty, nitty gritty of my uh my career in the Navy. We kind of went through the whole thing. They were awesome. It was a really unexpected pleasure to be on uh, on their show. So if you guys want to hear uh, me on another platform, just you know, being interviewed, people asking me about my career, how it all went for me, then uh, you can go over and listen to the Foxhole podcast, F-O-X-H-O-L-E, and uh, look for my episode. It's a two-parter. The second part should be out today, I believe, or it should be out uh, by the time that you guys wake up tomorrow or something like that, but it's long. So if you listen to part one today, it'd be perfect to listen to part two tomorrow. I just couldn't stop thinking yesterday about how the Space Force canceled exercise. I mean, we really have, we're really going in the wrong direction as a, as a, a military. Um, and I feel, I feel like I can still say that because my wife's in the military, you know, as a dependent, as a spouse, everything that happens in the military directly affects me, it affects her, her well-being, all the people that she works with, all of our friends, right? It's still a being connected to the military. And I feel like I can say uh, the policies are going in the wrong direction. You can't just cancel exercise. You really can't. You cannot cancel exercise. What are you doing? How do you do that? How do, you, how do we get to the point where we're so detached from reality that the military doesn't think they need to exercise anymore? It is so crazy. I don't understand how this happens. It's a, I don't know, is it a slippery slope? What is it? What brings us to this point? I don't really understand. I don't have a great explanation for you at this point. Uh, I guess we'll just see as time goes on. Maybe I'll get somebody on the show who can better explain it to me, but I don't know. I feel bad for people who, uh, who are going to be, you know, they're going to be affected by this. If you start telling people they don't even have to try, people already are pretty unwilling People already struggle to get up and go to the gym and take care of themselves. They fight it. I've seen people crying over the threat of having to exercise. And I, I get it. I appreciate I mean, it's it's not something that I can relate to. But when you see somebody who's obviously suffering, uh, they're struggling, they're having a hard time, they're having anxiety attacks, they're having depression, fear of what's going to happen to them, I can empathize with that. And so... When I see people going through those hard times, I just think, you know, what can I do to help? But now at this point, it's like instead of trying to help people raise up up to where the bar is, they're just lowering the bar. And what you're going to end up with is a lot of basically people who would struggle with PT are just going to give up trying and people who would not struggle with PT are just going to keep exercising. And so you don't really help anybody with this. You don't really change anything. All you do is hurt the people who need to get motivated the most. And so, or at least that's my guess. I don't know. We'll see. We will see. Justin says, is Space Force just going to use those electric suits that Tom Holland used? That would be awesome. MC says 100, keeping it 100 on this show all the time, as you guys know. And one more thing before we get into today, to today's show is, remember, tomorrow is Duncan Smith, Navy SEAL captain, retired worked on Navy SEALs, worked on Active Valor. It's going to be an absolutely awesome episode. I cannot wait. You guys might not know this yet, but you can't wait either. So please make sure you have reminders set for tomorrow's episode with Duncan Smith. It's going to be epic. You're going to want to be in the live chat for that one. If you guys have questions for him, if you guys want to know more about his, his experiences in Hollywood, uh, you're going to have to be here in the chat for those. MC99 cent super chat with the dumbbell. 
based on yesterday's dumbbell story. How insane is that? What kind of gunners, mate, is out there on a crack bender and then uh, beating his friend to death with a dumbbell? Um, I don't know. Insane. Totally insane to me. A lot of people on TikTok had something to say about it. People thought that that lady was a, a goblin. She might be a goblin. The lady in that photo could very well be a goblin. I'm not going to say she's not a goblin. So we'll see. We will see. Super Pooh says, reminder set. That's what I like to see. Absolutely. Good call. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Today is also going to be awesome. Today I've got stories from the Marine Corps, the Air Force, the veteran mil uh, military family community. We've got veteran stories, Coast Guard, everything. I don't have many stories for you today, but I have big stories for you today. Okay, so we're going to spend some time getting into the weeds on some stuff, which is going to be really fun, by the way. But let's start with this one. I don't have anything as as gnarly as yesterday. Okay, nothing quite as tragic as yesterday's story with four horrible stories right off the bat and then a, a crack bender uh, that ended badly too. But we do have something today that's a little serious, but we have some stuff today that's kind of fun and uh, and we'll be able to enjoy the episodes a little bit. So here, let's get it started with this first kind of interesting story. I don't know if Jacob Donenworth is out there, but if he is, he would want to chime in right about now with this. Marines must stay away from all wildlife because of rabies threat at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. Do you guys know how to spot an animal with rabies? Do you guys know what the warning signs are? Leave me a comment. We used to have animals with rabies where I grew up in Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie, New York. We would have uh, raccoons walking around, all zombified, drooling at the mouth, stumbling like a drunk animal. And, um, and that's really bad because we had pets, too. We had dogs. The dogs would run outside. We had an invisible fence on our property around the perimeter so they could go outside and just play on their own. But if there was an animal out there with rabies, you know, that rabies in an animal is... If, if, you're, if your pet even gets exposed to rabies, they're going to put them down. And that was always a big fear. So we used to have to hunt. We used to have to hunt these rabid animals with bow and arrow. So we used to have to take a bow and arrow if there was an animal with rabies near our property and go, you know, uh, kill it. Because if we didn't, then it would be a threat to us. It would be a threat to our animals. And we had, bat, we had bats in our house too, and bats can transmit rabies. We had all kinds of stuff going on out there. So rabies, I've been around a, a community that had rabid animals. And once it's out there, well, you know, you don't know how many animals have it. So U.S. Marines, known as fearless, according to this article from uh, this is Stars and Stripes. But Camp Lejeune in North Carolina has issued an unusual warning for personnel to avoid contact with all wildlife in their path. A raccoon captured at the over 150,000-acre base tested positive for rabies last week, and an additional raccoon was trapped, and wildlife officials are awaiting lab results. If you guys don't know, typically to test an animal for rabies, they have to get into its brain. So they have to put the animal to sleep, go into the brain, and pull out, you know, brain fluid or whatever to test for rabies. That's how you know. And then if that animal has rabies too, they're probably going to be, uh, you know, expecting to find many more cases of rabies as well. Marines and civilians at the camp should be on the lookout for animals exhibiting suspicious behavior. Those raccoons out there are pretty sus. They're not just going through your trash anymore. They're uh, straight up night of, night of the living dead. Installation personnel are advised to stay away from all animals, especially wildlife that are unusually aggressive, tame, or disoriented. Disoriented is the main thing that I would I would say. Like animals that are just, you know, clueless of what's going on around them. They're just staring off into the distance. That thousand yard stare that normally an animal wouldn't have uh, is a good sign that that animal might be showing rabies symptoms. Animals showing these types of behaviors do not necessarily have rabies, but should be avoided still. The base did not report whether anyone had come into contact with the two raccoons. And if you do get exposed to rabies, you have to get help right away. You have to seek treatment right away and go through a series of shots. I don't know if it's still the same thing where they give you this giant shot in your stomach for rabies. Uh, but I remember that back in the day, and you do not want that for sure. The camp near Jacksonville is the largest Marine Corps base on the East Coast. includes 14 miles of coastline. According to the Department of Military and Veterans Affairs, it is home to several training schools, including the Marine Corps Combat Service Support School. Camp Lejeune has had wildlife troubles in the past with alligators, it says. In 2018, a base official noted that an alligator living near one barracks had lost its fear of humans, likely due to being fed by human people. Some officials decided to capture and move the alligator away from the barracks somewhere else on the installation. American alligators are native to the southeastern Carolina coast and grew up to 15 feet. Do you guys remember that video that we watched a while ago on the Scuttlebutt show of the 
veteran trapping the alligator in the trash can and dumping it back in the water. Do you guys remember that one? That was a little throwback right there, but that was a great uh that was a great scuttlebutt story right there. That one was awesome. You know, I host a podcast. You guys are watching it right now. I take these episodes, I upload them to the podcast world. It is tough to ask people to spend an hour of their day with you, an hour of their time that they could be doing anything, right? They could be doing anything. Every view that I get on the podcast, every person in the chat out there, it means so much to me that you would spend this time that you have with me. Maybe in the background, maybe you're out walking your dog or driving your car, you know, whatever you're doing, people are probably doing all kinds of stuff. Maybe you're at the gym, you know, whatever you're doing. I really do think it's quite an honor, humbling, a humbling honor to be uh, included in your day in some small way. And podcasts have given a voice to lots of people. In fact, anybody could start a podcast with their, their phone in their pocket and nothing else. You could start making episodes today, high quality ones with background music, everything. You could do that from your phone today. Anybody could, which is good and bad, right? Of course, obviously. Um, you have goods like people who have important things to put out can and bads where people can put out bad information, they can put out uh, hurtful content, they can put out hateful content, they can put out misleading content, all this stuff. And it's, and it, you know, if you are someone who enjoys, you know, mean-spirited things that are not, you know, developing your character or making you a better person, well, there's tons of more ways now you can waste your time doing all the wrong stuff, or at least stuff that is not really my thing. And then some people have taken it and said, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do something really good. We're going to take our rough experiences and try to help people by sharing our story. I've seen podcasts of people who a husband and wife, for one example, the wife gets uh, or the husband gets Alzheimer's and then they do a weekly podcast about about what it's like to be a, a caretaker of somebody with Alzheimer's. Oh my God, I could cry right now just thinking about that. Wow, courageous thing to do, to go through that in front of everyone. People with cancer diagnosis is taking to YouTube to document their journey, giving people a reminder that they're not alone going through hard times. And that's exactly what this military family did. And that's why I want to focus on this story for a little bit today. We've got Grace of a Military Child, Teens Podcast Tackles Challenges, Experiences of Troops Children. And you can go listen to this podcast series out right now. It's called Grace of a Military Child. So you listen to this podcast, according to this article here from Stripes, Stars and Stripes, it opens with a pleasantly plucky beat and the upbeat voice of 19-year-old Gracie Burgess, the show's co-host host and founder. But behind the welcoming vibes is a story of trauma, endurance, and a prime example of a U.S. military family that has seen struggles. While deployed to Afghanistan in 2011, Burgess's father, Daniel, had a traumatic injury that led him to becoming an amputee and resulted in his medical retirement of the military. You know, there's another story on, on Netflix, Father, Soldier, Son, which is an incredible look at a military family. And, I, and if you guys have not seen that, first of all, Grab a box of tissues, brace yourselves, and go check that out because it is incredible. It might be the best documentary I've ever seen. The recovery process inspired Burgess to reach out to other military children and families, including ones that supported the Burgesses during her father's healing. He had a serious injury by an IED. We'll get to that in a minute. Not every military child, however, needs to experience something as traumatic as a death or severe injury of a loved one to experience stress as a young and sometimes overlooked member of a military family, Burgess said. There's a photo here of her as a baby with her father and his camis. When her mother, Jeanette, first suggested that she start her podcast as a storytelling outlet and outreach, Burgess was resistant, insisting that she did not like listening to her own voice. You know what's interesting about the listening to your own voice thing? I've never heard anyone say they like the sound of their own voice, uh, but everyone says that they don't like the sound of their own voice. And I wonder if everyone really does, you know, or if it's just like, you know, you hear your own voice. If there's some kind of psychological thing where you are, you are prone to disliking it because it's your voice. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't love my voice. I don't hate my voice. I feel okay about my voice, the way it sounds. Um, I hear other people's voices and I'm like, man, that's a really good NPR voice. That's a great podcast voice. But 
it's just, you know, you got the voice you got. If you are a talented singer, you could, you know, modulate your voice. You could manipulate the, the way, the tone, the, the key that you speak in. That's a great skill. But uh, for most of us, we just have the voice that we have and you got to accept it. And just, you know, get to talking. She also has a full schedule as a student at Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers. She volunteers at, a, at the college writing for the school's newspaper, Eagle News, and as a teaching assistant, a TA for students with learning disabilities. So, oh my God, what an incredible young lady. But even with this, Burgess said she still didn't feel complete without being involved in the military community, especially after what her family went through. Isn't that remarkable? Jeanette said Burgess often listened to podcasts to pass the time during the during the pandemic and became infatuated with audio storytelling. So she encouraged her to start her own centered around military children like herself. Usually you don't hear stories centered around military kids, but it really affects their lives and how they grow up. Burgess's younger sister, Kaylee, also encouraged her to start the podcast and design the podcast logo for her. So it's a whole family operation here. She launched the podcast Grace of a Military Child in April 2021 to coincide with the month of the military child, which we focused on when it was happening last year. And it's about to happen again in a couple weeks this year. The podcast has over 2,000 downloads so far. Congratulations. That's awesome. It's it's uh, pretty difficult to, to get those podcast downloads up. They say if your podcast gets more than 25 listens, you're in the top 50% of all podcasts. That's how hard it is to get a person to listen to your podcast. But with over 2,000 downloads across Audible, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, and a far-flung listener base in the United States, Germany, Australia, and the United Kingdom, Netherlands, and India, and so on, based on those metrics you get from those listening apps, she is on her way. Her guests have included military children, spouses, authors of books for families on how to cope when constantly moving with the military and leaders of the military family organizations. The episodes are formatted in a minimally edited recorded conversation format and run about an hour long. Burgess said she felt like it was important to hear unabridged versions of everyone's story. I agree. If you have the time, it's great to listen to those deep dive conversations because you really learn about someone in that format. You don't just get the sound bites. Everyone's story is similar, but also so different, she said in an interview. She has a nine episode series focused on No Greater Sacrifice, a nonprofit organization that grants scholarships to children and military members who were severely injured or died while serving post 9-11. And uh, Burgess, who is a recipient of something from No Greater Sacrifice, interviewed other scholars and members of the organization for the series. So it focuses on military resiliency of children through several stressors, such as transferring schools, moving around the world, and dealing with the uncertainty of where they'll be heading next. Absolutely so true. It happens all the time. People get one-year orders, two-years orders, three-years orders, uh, and then they move again. So she's looking to expand her episode and get some bigger guests on. This all started because in November 2011, just before Thanksgiving, which unfortunately always seems to be how it goes, before a holiday, before right before coming home, something like that, her father, Daniel, stepped on an IED while on a patrol clearing roadside bombs in Afghanistan, a mission that has saved an incalculable amount of lives. IED route clearance saves lives. And so he's a hero. The devastating injury caused him to lose one leg on site, immediately traumatic amputation, and the other partially degloved from his ankle up to his groin. If you know what degloved means, it basically means remove the skin from the ankle to the groin. Um, you know, it's probably unimaginable what that moment was like for him and what kind of pain he went through. Burgess said her father's injury was the hardest time in her life. She was nine at the time. I still remember exactly where I was standing in our home in Ohio when my mom got the phone call. She dropped to her knees and started sobbing. When you're only nine, seeing your mom cry like that is scary. Yeah. Yeah. Burgess said she felt a mix of being grateful her father was still alive, but also terrified and worried for the traumatic injury he sustained. And there's a photo of him up here in the hospital working on a, a PT trying to recover from his injury. She said it also made her realize the full extent of the dangers people serving in the Middle East at the time faced and the ugliness of war, which is humbling but jarring. What you know as a child about war is really nothing. Yeah, of course. People should be shielding their children from uh, the knowledge of what war is really like. Little kids, you know, preteen age should not have to worry about that kind of stuff. While her dad spent weeks in the hospital recovering, she became debilitated in a different way. She says, my biggest fears of what could happen to my dad came true. I struggled with anxiety. I cried on the couch for one week straight. 
The experience caused Burgess to act above her young age. She said something that she sees echoed across the podcast participants she interviews. In other words, it kind of made her grow up quick. Military children don't capture the same memories of their hometowns, childhood bedrooms, and school cliques as other young people can. Yeah, it's another thing. You don't really, if you're a military family and you're moving around, you don't really develop lifelong friendships. You don't grow up with people and see them go from grade to grade, school to school, graduate high school, get their first boyfriends, girlfriends, and all that stuff. You're moving constantly. Burgess said this traumatic yet teaching experience has allowed her to be able to have sincere conversations about PTSD, loss, grief, anxiety, and resiliency. Burgess' family spent three months in a hotel room and 10 months in a Fisher house. A Fisher house, if you guys don't know, is an incredible organization where they put people up in a home near or within the grounds of a hospital so that they don't have to travel far while they're undergoing continuing uh, treatment. It's, it's, uh, it provides the family somewhere to stay while their loved one is in the hospital, and it's incredible. Fisher House does incredible work. Daniel said he doesn't remember much from the first few months of his recovery, but he said he never could have pulled through if not for support of his family. If not for our bond, our bond, which only got stronger even through the difficulties, I would never have been able to get out of bed, he said. Jeanette said she had she had felt she had to carry a lot on her shoulders while watching her husband in that state and protecting her daughters from being traumatized by the severity of the situation. So, you know, they're going through this uh, this really rough time while their father was in recovery. And they're dealing with that. Um, and it left an, it left a lasting impact on the entire family. You see a family member go through that. You see the strength. You see people have to really rally around their father, their family member, their loved one, while they deal with their own burden of this injury, the post-traumatic stress associated with it, the insecurity of being, you know, I, I don't want to use the word crippled because that's really as much as he decides he is, but but disabled, permanently disabled, permanently differently abled. Maybe that's the right way to put it because I know so many veterans, I actually draw a lot of personal inspiration from this, which is a lot of military veterans suffer these, you know, traumatic injuries, losing a limb, uh, inability to walk, losing, a, you know, losing a hand or the inability to use their hand or being blinded or something. Um, and, you know, the courage and strength that they display by continuing on with their lives, continuing, continuing to be parents, friends, you know, continuing to serve in different ways. Uh, I look at, you know, problems that I have and I go, they're nothing. There's, not, th- there's nothing that can't be overcome, especially if you have a supportive family and loved ones and the right attitude. And this is just one more example of that. So to Jeanette, I, I want to just say, bravo, Zulu, you're doing an awesome job. I hope that you continue to crush it with your podcast, and I hope that your uh, college career is successful, and then you can be uh, whatever you want to be when you graduate and, and, and continue on. Maybe some kind of uh, veteran advocate program or, or who knows what. Daniel said from his injury to dealing with the unseen injury of his PTSD to learning software programs to help Gracie develop her podcast, the past decade has been a learning curve, and he's incredibly proud of his children. You really can take tragedy and struggle and turn it into a success, said Daniel, who since his recovery has also found joy as an artist, making quilts on his long arm machine. Burgess reiterated her father's sentiment, hopes she can support all her guests and listeners. Just because a traumatic experience may happen, you are still able to achieve your hopes and dreams, she said. What a powerful message. Absolutely awesome. And, uh, and I'm, I'm walking away a little bit more inspired than I was yesterday. So I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Good job. Good job. Bravo, Zulu. Keep it up. Keep up the good work. Super Pooh says, Burgess, crazy emotional story. Everyone that makes the choice and family members to live with it, God bless. Yep. Bravo, Zulu. Super legit. Nugget says, what's up, Nuggets? Uh, let's see. Pooh says, I hate the way my voice sounds on VMS. Takes a lot of guts to share the cancer experience you're going through. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, now that we're through that, we can get to something little spicy. Get to something a little good. Some juicy story right here. Um, before we do, as we, as we move into this next story, I want to, uh, I want to first, to start this next story, we have to watch a video. Okay. This next story, this next piece that I have for you guys begins with watching this video. If you're ready, let's get right into it. 
A career of service and patriotism describes Lieutenant Colonel Brandon Bailey, Sanford University's Alumnus of the Year. Bailey, a member of the United States Air Force, served his country with honor and distinction. As a nurse, Bailey's numerous roles include Director of Reserve Medical Plans and Programs and Director of Search and Rescue. He's also a Purple Heart Medal recipient. He continues to serve his country, helping the Disabled American Veterans Association and aiding veterans looking to pursue nursing degrees. Bailey's service to Sanford includes sitting on numerous committees for the Moffitt and Sanders School of Nursing and currently Bailey is a member of the Moffitt and Sanders Nursing Advisory Board. Wow. Lieutenant Colonel Brandon Bailey, Sanford University's 2020 Alumnus of the Year. Wow. All right, so pretty impressive, I got to say. I mean, that's uh, quite a list of accomplishments right there. And uh, it would be really remarkable if it wasn't for the fact that it wasn't true. A major was kicked out for stealing narcotics. Then he took $820,000 from the Air Force. It was all a lie. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. I know the chat's going to go crazy with this one. Lieutenant Colonel Brandon Bailey said he retired from the Air Force after nearly 20 years of distinguished service to his country. With a combat tour in Afghanistan under his belt and a purple heart and bronze star pinned to his chest. Bailey said he spent years as a search and rescue and battlefield medicine specialist. He said combat wounds caused a total and permanent disability that has stopped him from working following his medical discharge from the Air Force. Only, it's not true. For the past two years, Bailey has been the subject of a federal investigation into a complex web of financial and bankruptcy fraud he spun over the course of a decade. Can you believe that? Oh, Sanford University, you didn't you didn't know. They didn't know. That's not it's not on them. It's not on them. The former major was expelled from the Air Force following a 2010 court martial conviction for illicit drug use and theft and theft while stationed in Iraq. The theft is the worst part. It's I'd prefer, you know, taking care of somebody who, you know, turned to drugs in a time of desperation than I would somebody who's a thief. The decision aimed to strip him of his pay, benefits, and access to Veterans Affairs resources. Then, unbeknownst to the Air Force, the service continued sending him paychecks for seven years, and he chose to keep the paychecks. Why not? He stole about a million and a half dollars, including eight hundred twenty in pay and eight hundred twenty thousand in pay and benefits from the Air Force, from an array of federal agencies and financial institutions, while getting paid for consulting and teaching jobs under false pretenses. Federal prosecutors said, leveraging a stolen valor military record to consult, which you know, if you guys are regular listeners to the show, is a common common tactic that these fraudsters use. He never medically retired from the Air Force, and at no point during his military service did Brandon LaRosse Bailey receive the Purple Heart. He did not receive the Purple Heart from the service. Under a plea deal the DOJ struck with Bailey and his attorneys, the government plans to drop all but two of the 13 counts of misconduct against him. He pled guilty in June 2021 to stealing money from the Air Force and to bankruptcy fraud. His sentencing hearing is scheduled for Wednesday at the U.S. District Court in the Southern District of Alabama in Mobile. In Mobile. I was listening to Kanye West a lot recently, and she's like, this is Ellie Mae from Mobile, Alabama. I don't have to date in the family no more, and I rode a plane. That's uh, the new workout plan by Kanye West. Oh, man, throwback. Federal lawyers recommended the court sentence Bailey to three years of supervised release to repay between $1.5 and $3.5 million to those he defrauded. Yeah, right, like that'll ever happen. And to turn over his four-bedroom, three-bath house in Maine, and potentially, worst of all, his Ford F-150 pickup truck. Several properties in Alabama and the contents of 11 bank and investment accounts. Bailey is a serial fraudster for whom a low-end guideline sentence is reasonable. James Davis, a law enforcement coordinator with the U.S. Attorney's Office in Mobile, told Air Force Times March 17th, the government is not seeking jail time because Bailey already faces enormous losses. Yeah. You know, what's a year in jail? Like, yeah, you could give him a year in jail. People might feel good about seeing that because of the stolen valor thing. But, you know, 
his life's going to be ruined either way. So I, I guess it's a moot point. He didn't he didn't physically hurt anybody. You know, he's not a violent offender. So just by taking basically taking his money away for life because he'll never be able to repay that debt and you can't bankruptcy a, a federal penalized debt. So he's basically screwed. A federal judge will make the final call on whether Bailey will spend time in jail, how much money he must return, and other terms of punishment at the Wednesday sentencing hearing. The maximum he could receive is 15 years in prison, followed by six years of supervised release, a $500,000 fine, and another special fee of $200. So they, they love to, then it'll get you with like, oh, by the way, you know, 200 bucks for this, 20 bucks for that, $30 for this. Like, come on, man, I'm $4 million in debt. You know, what are you going to do to me? He is awaiting sentencing in Kunica County Jail in Southern Alabama. Let's see. Who is Brandon Bailey, the article says from Military Times, according to his Air Force Personnel Center record, because, you know, now who is he really, you know, in he joined the reserve in 2001 and was placed on active duty in 2004. He became a flight crew nurse rising to the rank of major. So he did he did do that. The major deployed to a joint base Balad in Iraq in 2008, peak Iraq time, where he worked as the 332nd Expeditionary Operations Support Squadron's medical crew director. He led a five-person crew of medical technicians and nurses on medical transport missions, treating ailments from contracted diseases to battle wounds. In that job, Bailey was responsible for keeping track of a box of supplies loaned from the pharmacy for medical evacuations. He was also in charge of accounting for any medications used during those missions. Then he got weird, it says. Bailey's unnamed roommate in mid-October 2008 noticed him acting strangely and talking to non-existent people. Uh, yeah, then you that's when you report your buddy. He also witnessed Bailey draw a controlled substance into a syringe and inject himself in the arm. A subsequent search of the appellant's locker and nightstand revealed an aeromedical evacuation box, multiple empty vials of various narcotics, syringes, and needles stashed in the appellant's locker and nightstand. So his he, they, they, they urinalysed him, urine tested him for po- positive for multiple controlled substances. He used mepridine, morphine, oxy, and lorazepam between September 2020, September 20th and October 20th, 2008. My mistake, not 2020, 2008. He possessed mepridine, morphine, sulfate, oxycodone, acetaminophen, diazepam, and phenobarbital. Isn't acetaminophen like Tylenol? He also stole promethazine and mepridine from September 3rd to the day he was caught on October 20th. Bailey claimed his actions were fairly attributable to injuries suffered while deployed, but the court said he presented no supporting evidence and a mental review concluded he was sane. So in other words, they are saying he was lying. He was convicted on 13 counts of wrongful drug use, possession, and appropriation, as well as theft in a general court-martial. The military judge at Shaw Air Force Base, South Carolina, sentenced him to dismissal from the Air Force in three months of confinement. He appealed the sentence and was placed on leave while the military judge deliberated. Bailey acknowledged his Air Force career was over. He said, I'm doing well out of the Air Force on on Facebook on October 25, 2010. Trying to figure out what to do with my life, he says. Yeah, so... Nearly three years later, the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals denied his complaint that the decision to boot him from the service was too harsh. Bailey's willful conduct failed to live up to the high standard of accountability expected of commissioned officers. Although the appellant's previous contributions during his career are excellent, he engaged in a course of conduct that included stealing drugs entrusted to him for the use of his comrades wounded in combat and causing himself to act in a bizarre and inappropriate manner. The Air Force formally separated Bailey as a major on October 1st, 2013 in the officer equivalent of a a dishonorable discharge. Bailey falsely portrayed himself as a retired Air Force nurse, combat rescue officer, a veteran of the combat tour in Afghanistan, and a Purple Heart Medal recipient, probably the most egregious uh, crime he did, especially coming after that story we just covered of the uh, podcast there. Air Force records show he received 20 military awards and decorations during his service. They largely included... Typical awards like, uh, ri- you know, ribbons from deployment or, you know, completing training or, you know, national defense, but no record of a bronze star or, or purple heart on his DD-214. So then he, uh, he starts to defraud people. Um, he was erroneously placed on the Air Force's payroll as a springboard for multiple other schemes. Um, basically, he used that money that he was getting uh, wrongly as basically proof of his uh, claims. So Bailey continued to log on to get annual W-2 forms and monthly pay statements that appeared to show his accurate income and employment status. He occasionally received care at mental, military health facilities in violation of Air Force rules. He falsely portrayed himself publicly as an active duty Air Force member and relied on Air Force documents and 
to open bank accounts and obtain loans, credit cards, and other items of value that were not uh, that he was not lawfully entitled to receive. His fraud includes Social Security, D Department of VA. Uh, funding for farmers through the Department of Agriculture, unbelievable. Student loan forgiveness through the Department of Education, loans from J.P. Morgan, Barclays Bank, and SunTrust Bank, among others, and a part-time staff pay at Alabama Stanford University, where they featured him in that cool video talking about how awesome he is. Uh, let's see. He transferred a lot of this money to family members, um, probably to launder it. He also paid his parents over $17,000 of this money. Bailey has admitted to one of four counts of bankruptcy-related fraud in which he failed to list nearly $70,000 in income as part of his estate when he filed for bankruptcy in 2019. He concealed hundreds of thousands of dollars in insurance money he received after a house fire and the assessment and sale values of several parcels of land. So he's basically been lying long-term. Um, going down here near the uh, to the next subject here, the Pentagon caught this. The agency that handles military payroll was never told that Bailey was removed. So basically, there was a miscommunication in admin. Everyone knows admin doesn't do their job anyway. In total, the Air Force paid Bailey $818,000 in the seven years between his court-martial conviction, which barred him from receiving payer benefits, and the day the Defense Department struck him from its ledger. He's been claiming to be disabled since March 14, 2012. He appears to be actively engaged in farming activity, though. So fraud, dis uh, uh, disability fraud. Let's see. The list goes on here. Um, he eventually gets caught. Officers believed Brandon and Todd were having a relationship dispute. So on, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Let me go back here a little bit. Um, Sperlin noted in 2020 that he couldn't find official documentation that Brandon and Todd Bailey are legally married. So he had listed a husband here. The two live together in Maine and have moved around the country together. Todd wrote to federal lawyers in September 2021 to protest the potential seizure of his home, his bank, and his securities. I was not aware of any illegal behavior or activities that Brandon may or may not have been involved in. Todd's parents called the police department in Holden, Maine to warn that Brandon was threatening to kill himself in front of Todd at home, according to a copy of an FBI report. An officer visiting the house detained Brandon, who was sitting in a truck with the engine running. Officers believed that Brandon and Todd were having a relationship dispute, which had led to a verbal altercation. Brandon did not express any, any uh, ideations in the officer's presence. So I guess they let that go. Um, the two men both claimed the other was experiencing mental health issues. So it's a, he said, he said type thing. Law enforcement found three weapons, uh, at the house. So this was basically coming to a head here in what could have been a true tragic ending. Um, the DOJ has asked the court to further address this incident at the upcoming hearing. Bailey's alleged misconduct while awaiting sentencing was brazen, indi indicative of a lack of acceptance of responsibility and worthy of punishment, prosecutor said. So what do you guys think? Does this deserve a, sti a stiffer punishment? Should this be uh, an enhanced sentencing? Or is no jail time and a, and a $3.5 million penalty steep enough for what he's done? What's the worst part of this, I ask you too? Is it the stolen valor? Is it the... Uh, pretending to be on active duty when you're not? Is it the domestic violence? Is it the using VA healthcare when you're not eligible for it? You know, what's the, is it the money? Is it just the money? Is it, what is it? What's the worst part? And where do you think he should stand after, at the end of all of this? Let me know. Let me know. Um, let's see. Seriously, getting kicked out is unfair. Uh, all of that was during his service. How is he only getting three months? Yeah. Man is like a legit criminal. Yeah. I wonder how much he gave the big guy. The one guy, Sanford alumni, alumni, nominees didn't want. Yeah. Strong punishment in court-martial is no longer. Um, I think, you know, some people get strong punishment in court-martial. You can get life. Unfortunately, I've got one more kind of intense story here. Um, sad one. Sad one out of Boston. Um, kind of crazy. So I've got some information as to how this all went down, and we're going to talk about it. But there's uh, just, you know, just sad. You know, this is just, we talked about a shooting outside of a bar a couple weeks ago in San Diego at Miramar. Um, you know, maybe just don't go to the bar. Maybe just don't go to the bar. Maybe just stay home. It's tense, high tense times right now. Things are intense right now around the world. We're just coming off of the pandemic, it seems like, because probably politically it's inconvenient at this point to keep it going and for literally no other reason. Um, but then, before you know it, a war breaks out. It's just a tense time. People are struggling financially. I get it, you know? So maybe it's not the best time to go out drinking 
Um, especially if you have maybe, you know, you're in a bad neighborhood or you have a temper or you're prone to fighting or anything like that. Because uh, you never know what's going to happen. And this is a story about that. Bouncer at Boston Pub faces murder charge in the stabbing death of an active duty Marine. Absolutely tragic. A bouncer at a Boston pub is facing a murder charge in connection with the stabbing of an active duty Marine outside the bar Saturday evening. Alvaro Omar Larama, 39 years old, is charged with stabbing 23-year-old Daniel Martinez outside the Sons of Boston pub just before 7 p.m. Police responding to the downtown bar said they found Martinez, an Illinois native, suffering a life-threatening stab wound. He was brought to a local hospital where he was pronounced dead. More on that story over here on this other article. Let's see. Saturday afternoon, he and a friend had stopped by Sons of Boston Union Street Bar near Fanwell Hall. On their first visit, they had no problems with anyone there, authorities said. But shortly after 6 p.m., Martinez and his friend returned to the crowded bar, waiting outside in line while Alvaro Larama manned the door. Larama wouldn't let them inside, and after a brief exchange, Martinez and his friend walked away. But Larama, a 38-year-old from East Boston, called another bouncer over to take his place and followed them down the street. You know? Why? Larama? Why would you do that? That's upsetting. Prosecutors said that as Larama was arraigned on murder charges Monday. Larama approached. Martinez turned toward him with his arm raised as if to block a blow, according to a police account of the altercation, which was caught on camera as well. We will not be watching the video. Martinez hit him with an aluminum beer bottle and the fight broke out. Eventually, Larama took out a knife and stabbed Martinez twice in his chest. Larama, who was at large before he turned himself into police on Monday morning, at large means, uh, you know, he's been identified as a suspect, but he's not under arrest yet. He was ordered held without bail during a hearing at Boston Municipal Court, who's, where relatives of Martinez sat teary-eyed, quietly mourning and declined to comment. The family is grieving and our hearts go out to them and all who know Mr. Martinez, Suffolk District Attorney Kevin Hayden said. We have to do everything we can to look out for each other and keep this city safe. Prosecutors said that video footage taken from multiple security cameras on Union Street showed Larama putting his knife back into his pocket after the fight and being led into the kitchen at Sons of Boston, where he discarded the hat and sweatshirt he was wearing and turned his T-shirt inside out before leaving through a back exit. Martinez was taken to Massachusetts General Hospital before being pronounced dead just before 7.30 p.m., 19.30. It sounds like the entire bar should be under arrest, too. Everyone who witnessed that and didn't call the police should be an accessory to murder. Every single person, the cook, the bouncer who took his place, the manager of the bar, that place needs to be shut down, shut down permanently, out of business. And everyone who works there should be in prison for accessory to murder. How are they not? How, how possibly are they not all being charged? The bars along Union Street were closed for the evening as investigators canvassed the scene. They searched for Larama Saturday night. He called police to say he wasn't ready to turn himself in yet, but would do so. In court, his lawyer described him as a father of four who's been a committed and loving in a committed and loving relationship for 20 years with no convictions in over 20 years. But he used to obviously be about that life. Court records show that Larama has been arrested multiple times during the past five years on domestic violence charges, including allegations that he threw his ex-wife into a shelving unit and dragged her on the ground by her hair. You know, honestly, the way that America is right now, I feel like this guy should just be made mayor of Boston. He sounds like a real stand-up citizen, exactly the type of American that we really love right now. Exactly the type of guy we can really get behind. Beats his wife, murders a Marine. Let's bail him out. He needs a bail fund. He needs to become a politician. This is so upsetting to read. Coming early on Saturday evening, in one of the most popular areas in downtown Boston, the attack is a hard case for this city and how this city might be perceived. Yeah, screw that city. Shut, shut down the city. Anytime someone comes into the city for a time of celebration and it ends in tragedy, it affects the city. Hayden says the killing is not a representation of Boston, but yeah, right. Come on. Come on. It absolutely is. There's a little video here from uh, the new local news. Let's just, we can watch this really quick. Daniel Martinez's mother says her son was an incredible person who was living in a suburb just outside of Chicago. Today, some of Martinez's family were in the courtroom as the man accused of killing him faced a judge for the first time. 
In court today, the sons of Boston bouncer, 38-year-old Alvara Lamara, said nothing as the prosecutor read the details of the case. She says 23-year-old former Marine Daniel Martinez was in town for St. Patrick's Day with friends on Saturday when they were waiting in line at Sons of Boston, then coming into contact with the bouncer. It appears that words may have been exchanged. Uh, the victim and his friends step out of the line. Investigators say the bouncer chased the two friends down Union Street. The two then begin a, a, a tussle and the defendant quickly strikes the victim in the chest um, with that object and the victim immediately grabs at his chest. The prosecutor says the bouncer then returns to the bar. The defendant is on video being led back into the Sons of Boston bar going downstairs into the kitchen area where he again is on video washing his hands, taking off his hat, taking off his sweatshirt. Investigators say the bouncer leaves out a back door. The victim, Daniel Martinez, was rushed to the hospital where he died. This is not a representation of our city and Boston and who we are uh, and I think we need to come together in support and love. Now the DA's office says the bouncer turned himself in the morning uh, into police this morning. He's being held without bail. Live in Boston, Emily Maha, WCBB News Center 5. That's exactly what every city in America is right now. That's a perfect example of, of, uh, of a city in America. That's exactly the representation of it. Um, that's what we worship now in the United States, are guys like that. That's a hero. Give them the key to the city. That's exactly what we need more of. Come on, guys. Let's be real. Let's be real Americans here. The guy's a gosh darn American hero. Very upsetting. I know that article called him a Marine Corps veteran. Uh, the other two articles referred to him as active duty. I don't exactly know which it is. Um, we'll find out more information as time goes on. Sick. Really sick. Really sick. And I'd like to see every I'd like to see that entire bar shut down, condemned, um, for permanently. And then I'd like to see everyone that helped him flee the scene and cover it up in jail. If they don't charge every person who saw what went down in that bar when he was brought back in, escorted in, down to the kitchen, changed his clothes, he's covered in blood. If they don't, if they don't do something about that, that's disgusting. I'm so disappointed. These American big cities really need to start being real. Just be honest. If you're not being honest... People are out there getting hurt, getting attacked, and they're just going, no, they're not. It's all good. It's actually not happening at all, so just don't even worry about it. Truly upsetting. Truly, truly, truly upsetting. Um, we'll end it with something good. We'll end it with something good. Um, let's see. Justin said, who's got drinking? I just paid $120 to fill up. Uh, yeah. Who's got drinking money? I just paid $120 to fill up. Yeah. Yep, I've seen those $7 gas prices in California. I'm really excited to go pay those. Ready to go get myself an electric vehicle when we get back. Um, why wasn't he rushed to the hospital? Well, somebody had to figure out he was wounded. Then they had to get to him, you know? I'm sure it's. Uh, I'm sure he was, got, you know, brought to the hospital as quickly as possible, but not quick enough. Uh, he probably had his heart damaged or his lungs damaged when he got stabbed, and so he probably, uh, probably never had a chance, honestly. Whew. All right, that's intense. That's an intense story right there. Um, obviously, I got worked up. That, you know, it just reminds me of uh, a friend that I lost. And it's very upsetting. It's very upsetting. I feel terrible for his family. Um, but I will I will bring it back for you guys um, with one more story here. And then we'll wrap it up for today and get excited about tomorrow. Duncan Smith on the show. Unbelievable. We're so lucky. It's such an honor to have him on. It's going to be absolutely amazing. So stay tuned for that. Make sure you have reminders on and set. And here's today's last story. Coast Guard helicopter carries girl seven years old from cruise ship to hospital. Saved her life. We've got a good one for the Coast Guard here. A Coast Guard helicopter successfully evacuated a seven-year-old girl from a cruise ship 264 miles southwest of Clearwater, Florida on Sunday. The girl and her father were flown to Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital in St. Petersburg. Her condition was not released. A crew member aboard the cruise ship Carnival Dream alerted the Coast Guard that a girl on board was in distress with abdominal pain. You guys might be thinking what I'm thinking. When I hear that, I think appendicitis. She's a little young for appendicitis, but it's a very, very common thing for a kid to get. And it is very routine to treat, but if not treated in time, appendicitis can become life-threatening. 
So I don't know that that's what it is, but if I had to guess what would cause a medevac from a cruise with a young lady uh, on there complaining of abdominal pain, I would think appendicitis. The Carnival Dream sails from Galveston, Texas to destinations in the Caribbean and the Panama Canal. Video released by the Coast Guard show the girl being lifted into the helicopter inside a rescue basket while the chopper hovers above the ship's stern. We just had the story last week about the young man who fell out of the basket getting rescued on the hike and he ended up passing away. So you guys know that these are dangerous, serious operations. We're going to watch the video here in a second. Uh, video shows the Coast Guard lifting the girl into the helicopter inside a rescue basket while the chopper hovers above the ship's stern. The video shows the rescue happened at night. The girl was in stable condition during the flight Sunday. The evacuation was conducted by an MH-60 Jayhawk helicopter that left from the Coast Guard air station near Clearwater. The decision to bring the girl ashore was made in consultation with a Coast Guard surgeon. So here is the video, and uh, we'll watch this, and you guys can tell me what you think about this. Might not be any sound. But you can see some IR FLIR camera of the helo hovering above the deck, which is a very complex activity because the ship's listing and moving. They're raising them up with the rescue hoist. I believe that they still call it the rescue hoist with the Coast Guard, like we did in the Navy. Bringing her up alongside where they're going to bring her in. Again, these are very, very dangerous operations. So, you know, it takes a lot of professionalism to go do that. And they get her in there and they bring her back to the hospital where hopefully she's doing well and recovering from whatever condition she had. My guess, like I said, is appendicitis. I can't be 100% sure, but I'm going to go ahead and say that that's my best, my best thinking there is that that's what it is. Bravo Zulu to the Coast Guard, leaving us on a good note today. I think that that's a really well done. Well done. Good job. Shout out to you guys, uh, which I know people give me a hard time for not including the Coast Guard enough in this show. Well, when I when I have an opportunity to, I enjoy making sure I, you know, take care of the Coasties as well. Um, with all that being said, that's going to wrap it up for today's show. I hope you guys are doing okay out there. Nugget says, Coasties need more credit, man. Hooray, Coast Guard. Super Pooh says, yep. Totally. As always, guys, consider clicking that join button right below this video or clicking the link over to Patreon. Um, and you can become a patron over there. Either way, greatly supports the channel. Or go to scuttlebuttshow.com or scuttlebuttclothing.com and pick up some scuttlebutt merch. All our shirts and stuff are high quality, really nice, designed by me. Um, yeah, enjoy. Or don't, and it's fine. I just appreciate having you guys here. Please spread the word about tomorrow's episode with Duncan Smith. I'd like to make the chat as happening of a place as possible for him to show our respect and be good hosts to him in our community. So please join me tomorrow and spread the word and make sure you're there for that. Justin really quick says, oh, I've got a Coast Guard rescue basket story from an advanced SAR school. My assessment is their hoist operators aren't also swimmers. <laughs> I, I would love to hear that story sometime. All right, guys, with all that being said, that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. Thank you for joining me. Tomorrow's going to be epic. Do not miss it. Regularly scheduled time and place. With all that being said, until next time, that's the scuttlebutt.